For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at bunnymanbrewing.com. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. And we are trailing the end of Theater Stories season for a little bit. This is season seven, Theater Heaven. Heaven. And we are here together. There's a lot of things going on, y'all. We usually have Friday night drops. So sorry for the postponement. There was a, a tropical storm. Yes. Miss Ophelia from Hamlet. Yes. She dropped in and there were a lot of things going on. We have our Find Your Light concert Tuesday night at the Lyceum in Alexandria at 7.30. I think there's still a couple of tickets available. They're $25 each. So exciting. So great. Um, So sorry we're tardy to the party with the last installments of Theater Stories. I can tell you that we'll have this episode and another one with Miss Sherry Edlin. Coming up soon. That will drop next weekend. (coughs) Coming up real soon. And then we'll get into spooky season for a bit. Um, Theater Stories will return in the new year. Um, But let me tell you, we have first up a story from our dear SU alum, Meredith Long, about Greece. Greece is the word. Now, this was the national tour where, like, lots of famous people jumped on, as you heard, so or you will hear. So, the Weisslers producing. And, like, there was so many, like, names. And, Sandra D. Well, Sandra D. Um, and... Oh, it, it goes a lot of places. It goes a lot of places. We want to, first off, thank our Patreon-sustaining sponsors. Thank you so much. We love you, and all of you who are Patreon sponsors are going to get to see Find Your Light Act 2. Well, I mean, you've already seen Find Your Light Act 1. No one else has. It's not on YouTube. It's nowhere. It's only to the Patreon members. And Find Your Light Act 2 will also be on our Patreon. So thank you, Patreon sponsors. And if you want to join and see Find Your Light Act 1 and 2, that'll be accessible to you very soon. Um, Gosh, the show happens Tuesday. We have so many things to do. There's piles of music and music stands and things everywhere. The theme is black, white, and purple. I love it. It sounds very dramatic and Uh, passionate. I have a shirt and shoes 
that are to die for. The lights and the throw on the piano will reflect it. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello, my name is Meredith Long, and I'm going to tell you a theater story. So this story took place back in 1997-98 on the national tour of Greece. Um, I played Cha-Cha Di Gregoria on the national tour of Greece, and it was directed by Ray DeMattis, who was from the original cast of Greece. And it was closely um, watched and um, uh, taken care of by uh, the writer of Greece, Mr. Jim Jacobs. Mr. Jim Jacobs loved bringing movie stars on. And during this tour, we were graced with several stars, including Frankie Avalon, Chubby Checker, Fabian, uh, Charo, um, you name it, they brought them in, including Britney Spears, but she never came because she got very famous. Um, but anyways, we were doing a sit down in Detroit, Michigan at the Fox Theater, and um, they decided to bring in Eric Estrada from Chips. Dun 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 and Jim Jacobs just loved and pretty much based Sandy off of this character. The original Sandra D. The Gidget. He brought her in. Um so we were pretty excited to be working with the original Sandra D, the Gidget. She was amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And of course, Eric Estrada was a ton of fun. Um, I played Cha-Cha, Eric Estrada played Vince Fontaine, and Sandra D played Miss Lynch, kind of, kind of. So during this week of rehearsals, um, they were trying to help her get prepared for going on stage, and she was having a little bit of difficulty memorizing so they gave her a clipboard to memorize her lines. Um, another thing during this tour, this, this week of rehearsals is that she had a cute little lap dog with her and that lap dog would get loose. And every once in a while you'd hear over the um, intercom would be like, please do not move any set pieces. We are looking for Miss Sandra D's dog. Everyone be on the lookout for Miss Sandra D's dog. Um, thankfully that dog was never hit by a set piece that would have been horrid. Um, but anyways, so she was rehearsed. She was ready. Eric Estrada had already been doing this role and we were opening night at the Fox theater and Jim Jacobs was there. All the producers were there. The director was there, including inside edition, that TV show. I came on at 7.30 in the 90s, telling you all what was going on. Um, they were there, full house, and we were all excited. And Cha-Cha Di Gregorio dances up a storm on the stage doing the hand jive and wins the dance contest like she should and runs up on the stage 
with Danny, grabs the mic out of Eric Estrada's hands. And next to him, or in between me and Eric Estrada, is Sandra D. So I grab the mic, I go, Cha-Cha D. Gregorio! And then I swishy, 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 swishy with my dress and totally take the prize. And during this, I guess I took Sandra D by surprise and she went, oh, oh, and fell over backwards pretty much off the platform. Now, I was stunned. So was Eric Estrada. And the entire cast of Grease, who was facing me and not the audience, all looking at me and on my faces to the audience, going, oh my God, what are you gonna do, Meredith? What are you gonna do? Well, I look at Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada looks at me. I look back down at Sandra D, who's on the ground. <laughs> and then I look back at Eric Estrada and I'm like, I wouldn't, Cha-Cha wouldn't lift Sandra D up. She's the teacher and I don't like her. And everybody in the cast is like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And I'm thinking, oh my God, did I kill Sandra D? Oh my God. And then I'm going, oh my God, I'm fired. I'm fired. I just killed Sandra D. I'm fired. And eventually, Eric Estrada picks her up, gets her off stage, and you hear, you couldn't hear a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. And you hear from the back of the audience, someone go, have another drink. <laughs> and I go, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> And it's just me on stage by myself. Everybody leaves. And it's supposed to be a funny moment. And it was so depressing. And I put my head down and I walk off stage and I go over to the side to the, to the tech crew and I'm like, oh my God, is Miss Sandra G, is she okay? Is she okay? And they're like, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. And I'm like, I'm so fired. I am so fired. I just killed this woman. Is she okay? What happened? And I go back and the rest of the cast is like, oh my God, Meredith, what did you do? What did you do to her? I'm like, I didn't do anything. I guess my, my, my dress was so big. It just knocked her over. I don't know. Well, needless to say, the producers decided that was the last time Miss D would go out on stage. She left the tour, actually probably that night. Um, I wasn't fired. They think that she just started laughing and fell over. Um, it was sad. It's kind of a sad story, but it's my story of me almost killing an icon. And, um, it was in Inside Edition the next day, and it was in the tabloids the next day, and all you see is, you don't even see me, you just see my my hot pink and yellow dress fly by and shuffle through. Um, but that is my story about almost killing Sandra D in the National Tour of Greece with Ryan Williams. He can verify all of this because he was laughing at me the entire time on stage. Thank you, and I'll think about my next story, which I think all theater people have about a thousand of them. 
Thank you very much. I thought of Anne Margaret falling in Vegas off of the platform and having facial reconstructive surgery. I, I'm glad Sandra D turned out okay. Um, and Ryan Williams should, I guess, uh, chime in. Yeah, and no, comment. He'll just say, "Yeah, that was true." Well, Greece and the tours of Greece. And all the grease that happened in the 90s. I mean, my God, the Weislers and that tour. Rosie O'Donnell, Sam Harris. There were so many people. Billy, um, oh, Porter? Billy Porter. Um, so many famous people went through that grease and made their careers afterwards. Um, so thank you for that story. We're going now to a story from R. Scott Williams. Um... And there's falling again involved. <laughs> so hurry. There's tonight is a motif. Well, I feel like there's a lot of falling stories. There's a lot of falling stories. People are really um, on the edge when they're on stage. You have to understand, audience members, people who maybe aren't performers, there are lights in your eyes. It's really difficult to see and judge distance and it's difficult, right? Yep, absolutely. You've fallen off stage. I have. It's really difficult. Anyway, there's more falling to come. R. Scott Williams, tell us about it. We love you. Hi, Stephen and Matt. It's R. Scott Williams here, and I have a story for you from the mists of time. Back when I was starting my second year of college, of undergrad, in Los Angeles, where my family lived. I was barely 18 or 19, I think, at the time. Uh, my mother was friends with this woman who always directed the annual fundraiser for the Granada Hills Women's Club. <laughs> this was back in... seventies and back then upper middle class white women usually didn't work so they formed clubs and then they spent their days doing whatever women's clubs people do. My mother was not a member of this club but her friend was. Now this club always put on a big Broadway musical as its annual fundraiser and then all the middle-aged women who were members of this club cast themselves in all the leading roles. Well wouldn't you? But the problem was that they were always short of men. None of the husbands of these women wanted to go to rehearsal every night with their wives after a long day at work, so they were always looking for men. And when this director learned that my mother had a son who was studying acting and theater in college, she demanded that I come to audition for their upcoming show, which was Fiddler on the Roof. Now, I had sung some group harmony in musicals before, and I had sung one verse by myself, of the opening number of Little Abner in college, but I had never sung a full number solo, and I was very afraid of it. But I also knew that I, eventually I had to do it. And so I thought the Granada Hills Women's Club was probably the most anonymous place to do it. Nobody would know if I fell on my face. So I wanted to get the part. They were looking for Model the Tailor, and they told me to prepare his solo number, Miracle of Miracles, which was too high for me. 
But, like I said, I really wanted to play this part, so at the audition, I sang Miracle of Miracles, but I did a lot of jumping around to try to hide the fact that it was too high for me, and then I ended with this full-on cartwheel, because I was 18. Now, there were a bunch of middle-aged women watching this audition. Remember, this was community theater, and all of the members of the Granada Hills Women's Club were there watching my audition. And they all applauded enthusiastically. And then the director came up to the lip of the stage and said, That was great, Scott. Could you tell you were singing the wrong notes? And I told her, Yes, I did know I was singing the wrong notes because the song is too high for me. Well, she turned and hollered across the rec room to the piano, Joyce, the song is too high for him. And this middle-aged mom who had played the piano for my audition piped up, Send him over here. So I sheepishly walked over to the piano in front of all these women, and this, this suburban housewife put out her cigarette next to the piano, because this was the 70s. Uh, she looked at this music that she had just played. She transposed it in her head. She lowered it, and she played it in a lower key while I sang it. So I got the part, and they must really, really have needed somebody to play Model the Taylor, because Model the Taylor is very, very Jewish. And I am very, very Presbyterian. But I sang my first solo song in front of an audience, so this was a very important moment for me. Oh, but there's more. Since this was community theater, nobody got paid, but the cast got two free drinks for each performance. All these husbands who had refused to do the play with their wives loved to come to each performance and pretend to be bartenders. So the husbands were always given the job of setting up the, this makeshift bar and stocking it and then pretending to be bartenders during the show, selling cocktails to the audience members. I'm sure this whole thing was illegal because even though it was a private club, I am sure that you need a license to sell booze in Los Angeles. But nobody was policing that and so nobody cared, I guess. Now, I got two free drinks also, but I was underage. They didn't seem to care, and nobody was policing that either. Um, but I was a very inexperienced drinker. In fact, I think I had my first cocktail doing that show. Once performances started, I noticed that all of the middle-aged women in the cast had their first drink right before the show, in the dressing room. Or rather, in the kitchen, which served as the dressing room, because that was the kind of theater it was. And then they had their second drink at intermission. And I thought that was very dangerous, but it didn't seem to affect these ladies' performances one way or the other, and you can read that however you want to. Uh, but eventually I thought, well, you know, why don't I have my first drink at intermission? Most of Model the Taylor's stage time happens in Act One, which pretty much dominates Act One, his romance with the eldest daughter, Seidel. Uh, in fact, the climax of Act One is his wedding to Seidel, when everybody sings sunrise, sunset, so, um, but in act two, model really fades into the background and the plot turns to the second and third daughter and their romances. So I had just a few scenes of dialogue in act two and there was no singing and no dancing for me. So I was sure that it was pretty safe for me to have that drink. <clears throat> My first entrance in act two was in a scene which, um, used to be called N1. I don't think they use that term anymore because I don't think they don't make musicals like that anymore. But back in the old days, uh, creators of musicals 
often had to create a scene that was to be performed in one, which meant that it was to be performed in front of the curtain. Because back then, you, they had to drop the curtain and change the scenery manually, and they didn't think that the audience should see that. So often in these old-timey musicals, there was a scene, uh, a two-person scene, or maybe a one person doing a monologue or singing a solo song, standing in front of the curtain while they changed the set <coughs> behind the curtain. This was called N1. And th my first entrance in Act 2 was one of these scenes. In Fiddler, it was called The Rumor. And I don't think The Rumor even exists in Fiddler anymore. Eventually, in one of the Broadway revivals, the creators realized that it was a stupid song, it didn't have anything to do with the plot, and so they removed it because now the sceneries are changed, you know, in a different way. And audiences are used to watching a scene, a set change happen, so you don't need an in one, a scene in one. This scene, this in one scene in Fiddle on the Roof in Act Two was called The Rumor. And what it was was uh, several townspeople, Modela Taylor being one, who came on stage, they crisscrossed each other, and they told each other this rumor that then grew from person to person and became something huge and hilarious, and that was the gag. Had nothing whatsoever to do with the play, and if you removed it, which I think they have since then, it makes no difference to the story. But that's what it was, and that was my first entrance in Act Two. The problem at Granada Hills uh, Women's Club was that the stage had no apron whatsoever. So the space between the curtain and the lip of the stage was about six inches. So when you wanted to walk below the curtain, then you had to kind of bat the curtain away as you walked. It was just ridiculous. But on this night when I decided to have my first drink at intermission, when I made this entrance, I batted the curtain away as I walked to center stage and I met whoever it was that I was talking to. We exchanged whatever exchange we had. And then as we tried to crisscross each other, I stepped off the stage and fell into the front row. <laughs> I learned a big lesson that night. And I am proud to say that now, almost 45 years later, from that day to this, I have never had an alcoholic drink during a show, or before a show, or even on the day of a show. I will not have a glass of wine at lunch at noon if I have an 8 o'clock curtain that night. I just won't do it, because that production of Fiddler on the Roof taught me that if you drink before a show, you'll fall off the stage. Thank you so much, Meredith and R. Scott Williams. Um, we love you. We love the SU connection. We're trying to kind of wrap theater stories. There's going to be one more next weekend. But then we're going to get into spooky season. And that's okay. Things have to change and evolve. I did not know about the in one. The in one seat, the rumor. I, no, I never knew about. Did you do the rumor? Because I've done Fiddler three times. We did the rumor once. I have done the rumor <laughs> every single time I've done Fiddler. No, I'm saying I never heard of in one. Oh, the in one scenes. Oh God, I didn't know that that was. That's a, when the curtain comes down. Right. He just talked about it. Oh yeah. I didn't know that that's what it was called. Oh God. Like in it's, one. It's the classic. 
like Gypsy has in one scenes. You bring the curtain down so they can change the scene. There's a scene in front of it. That's hysterical. Anything Goes has an in one. Wow. Uh... All my high school musical experiences had in one scenes. And wow. it was like a vernacular. A thing. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, then you bring down the curtain, there's the in one. Wow. It's so weird to think about that doesn't really happen at all <laughs> anymore. But I love, I think when Joe Calarco directed Gypsy at Signature, he kept it classic even with the scene change music and the scene changes. And I don't know, I don't think they had a curtain and did in ones, but they did the scene changes. I remember my high school in Pennsylvania, they would bring the curtain down and do scene changes and play the scene change music from the 40s or whatever show they were doing. And you just waited, almost like a commercial. Yeah. It was like, and they played the last song that they sang, and then the curtain raised, and the next scene would happen. Yeah. And it's so fascinating, that culture is so gone. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear stories from the past and be like, wow. We don't do that anymore. No, 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 no. It doesn't happen. Um, We are so thankful for all of our listeners. Uh, We have... Sherry Edelin coming in for the last theater stories of the current fall. We will escape into spooky season after that. We'll go back to theater stories, I think, probably yeah. in the new year. We've got a lot of things planned after spooky season. We have the run up to the Silver Bells at Virginia Rep. And I think we're going to do a Silver Bells themed podcast season where we talk about the, the cast of the signature the cast of the new production the creators we're going to lead up through november and december into the opening of the silver bells at virginia rep so we're going to give you some holiday magic from november into december um And we'll probably cover The Witch in Baltimore in November, because The Witch plays in November. Yep. And that says that witches have no season. They are not just October. They can be in November, because witches are here. Absolutely. For all times. We love you all. Uh, We will get back to you next week with our theater stories season. I guess this is... I can't even remember. Eight? It's seven. It's seven. Theater heaven... Uh, wrap up with Sherry Edlin. That'll be next week, and then we'll go straight into the spooky. Yep. We love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.